This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Altizen.com. A-L-T-I-Z-E-N.com. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. In this episode, I speak to Simon Kemp, founder and CEO of Capios on the Digital in 2018 Global Report that was launched last week. In the first part of our conversation, we discuss the surprising insights that have emerged from the world map of messaging apps. Hi, Simon. Hey, how are you? Good. It's been a very busy week for you, right? <laughs> it's been a busy month for me, mate. Yeah, yeah we've been uh, cracking all sorts of numbers and stuff, which we're going to be talking about today, but it's been a very interesting month as well. Yes, and I'm talking to Simon Kemp, founder and CEO of Capios, global consultant from We Are Social. Why is he here? Because the global report for digital has just been out. And Simon, really many thanks because you really give me this slot just in the midst of all the fire and fury for the report. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, Bernard, you've been a great sort of, uh, champion of the data we've shared before, so it's great to be back on the show. Yes. So since our last conversation, what have you been up to? So we caught up last time around the APAC report, didn't we, which was a couple of months ago. So since then, uh, we've been up in Japan doing some really interesting work around social selling. And then since Christmas, I've been hidden away in a dungeon, uh, collecting, researching all of the data for our 2018 Global Digital Report just came out yesterday. So yeah, that's been uh, quite an experience collecting uh, 5,000 charts worth of data, 20,000 different data points that we managed to publish, but obviously a lot more that we collected behind the scenes as well. So it's been quite a busy few weeks. I actually have been inundated with the entire 5,000 page report that I've written <laughs> traces of your report already been shared heavily on Twitter. I mean, I, I see Matthew Brennan was showing that beautiful map of all the messaging app dominance in Asia. Yeah. I think global, actually, the map. That was really a nice map to have. Yeah, so that's some great data we managed to get from similar web. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show, I'm sure. But yeah, um, that's been a very popular chart. Notice that's been shared an awful lot. And that. lots of interesting discussions around it as well, which is, I think, that's the really nice bit about when people start to dig into this data. I've always got my perspectives and the things that interest me when I'm preparing the reports, but it's always fascinating once they go out to the wide world to see what people pick out and what they're interested in. And that one really seems to have resonated yesterday, lots of people sharing it. So, you know, kudos to uh, SimilarWeb for getting us that data, really kind of them to share it for free with us. And uh, obviously, we'll, we'll talk about the implications of that as part of our deeper discussions as well. And the main topic of the day, Global Digital Report in 2018. And of course, Simon is here to talk about what is really happening. Now that we know that there are more than 4 billion people connected to the internet, I think most via mobile. What are the key numbers in this report that are important as compared to the last year? Yeah, so that 4 billion people using the internet number, it's really interesting. I thought more people would have sort of jumped on that because that stands out to me as being a massive milestone. This time last year when we published the report and announced that half of the world uses the internet, that was, that was quite impressive as well, obviously. But a juicy number like 4 billion, it shows the power of where we're at in sort of digital broadly around the world in 2018. So 53% of the world's population using the internet already. 4 billion is an important number, but what it really sets up is the fact that there is that 
you know, there's still a gap. There's still three and a half billion people that don't use the internet. And I know that the next billion is a story that a lot of people are talking about at the moment, but it's, it's going to be probably the thing that I end up talking about most over the next few months for a variety of reasons. Part of that is an ongoing theme, but it really struck home to me when we were doing the research for this year's report that the trends that are the most important are the ones about the developing economies around the world and how quickly they're coming online. We'll talk about that in a bit more depth. I'm guessing one of the questions you're going to be asking later will allow us to talk about that um, in a bit more depth. But let me give you some more of the juicy headlines. So the 4 billion internet users, obviously that was the standout. 1 billion years is the amount of time that those internet users will spend on the internet in 2018 alone. Let me just repeat that, 1 billion years of human time. I just cannot get my head around that. So the average uh, internet user around the world spends six hours a day on the internet. Fascinating, isn't it? So when you add all of that together, that all adds up neatly to a billion years worth of time. And that adds up to roughly a third of our waking lives. Scary stuff. And then beyond that, I think one of the other really interesting things from a social media perspective, we're still seeing really strong growth there. So a million people starting to use social every single day over the past 12 months. So you know, so another sort of massive juicy set of stats coming out of this year's report. Um, I just wanted to note at this point, 5,000 charts, as we've mentioned, 20,000 data points across all of the different reports. So it is difficult to sort of narrow it down to just one or two highlights but I think those are the three that would stand out for me as we were trying to sort of produce the blog posts and the publicity around the launch that's the stuff that we've been highlighting but there are juicier details in there and I think especially for your listeners that want to understand APAC in detail we have at least 10 charts for pretty much every country in the region the only exception to that is North Korea where we've only got three or four charts but yeah I'm guessing seeing as the internet's blocked for most people in North Korea that's probably less interesting for most of your listeners anyway. We talk about the connecting that 4 billion people into the internet as one of the major trends. And of course, some of these things like the, the usage time of internet user. What are the important trends that have shown up in 2017 heading into 2018? Is it more in messaging apps, e-commerce, or you know some of these trends that might just uh, show up that you, know, you didn't expect that? So actually, it's, it's been pretty much strong growth across everything. So there has been great growth in the e-commerce activity around the world, which is from a commercial perspective, I'm guessing that's one of the things that's interesting to your listeners as well. And there's been some really strong growth there. I'm going to get this wrong. I can't remember all my 20,000 data points. Um, I think it was 16% growth globally for e-commerce year on year. can't remember if that was users or value, but either way, still pretty impressive when you get into the double digit growth. We're looking at $1.5 trillion worth of e-commerce value just for consumer goods around the world in 2017. Some great stats from Statista as part of this year's reports on all sorts of e-commerce use around the world. So that one stands out as a useful one. But I think, you know, as I said, it's, it's broad growth across all sorts of different data points. But when you start to look at what the trends year on year are, the bit that really stands out is that growth in the developing economies around the world. So the fastest growth in internet users this year was in Africa. Obviously, they're starting from a slightly slower base, so arguably it is easier for them to record that faster growth. But the fact that they are, as a region, coming online much faster than anywhere else is really encouraging. It's it's one of those areas that each year I look at, and it, it disappoints me slightly that there is still this imbalance between sort of the, the developed and developing economies in terms of equitability of access and stuff like that. But 20% year-on-year growth in internet users 
in Africa is really exciting. I'm not forgetting that there are still parts of our part of the world. So in APAC, there are still areas that are underrepresented when it comes to connectivity. But again, we saw some really strong growth across digital around APAC as well. So 100 million new users for internet around APAC in the past 12 months, and that represented 40% of the global growth. So I think, you know, it's interesting and it's encouraging to see that growth. I think some of your listeners may sort of think, ah, okay, so developing economies, less of an opportunity, less relevance to me as a business or whatever else. The reality is that the next billion users as they come online are going to change absolutely everything in terms of the way that all of us experience the internet. So this is not just a next billion developing economy story. It's very much about the future of internet and connectivity for all of us. Something that we'll probably want to dig into in a bit more detail later but i'm guessing you're going to have some more broad questions to start with so i'll pause that pause that element there this is the part that actually interests me from talking to you on that we discussed this in the last conversation that you wanted to include some data into this digital report in 2018 so i also want you to tell me who are your partners this time you have added to your rich data sets because i've seen some very credible new data sources that are included in this report yeah i think you know really really pleased to welcome some great new data partners to this year's reports and that's the reason why we've been able to include such a massive amount of stuff across those five thousand charts and um, so the the core sort of data partners that we've used or sort of teamed up with used is such a horrible word teamed up with over the past few years have uh, very kindly come back again this year so global web index gsma intelligence and Statista all shared data again with us this year. Some really rich stuff coming from those guys. Um, but in addition to that, we've also added LocalWise, who have given us some great benchmark data for Facebook use. And then SimilarWeb, we've already mentioned that they give us some great insights into messenger use. We've got some great stuff from App Annie, who have given us insights into app use around the world. And then Clear, who do sort of influencer profiling and understanding different social media influence elements around the world. And they've given us some great insights into Instagram, kind of not so much the stats around Instagram usage from how many people use it, but more human stuff, like what are the top hashtags being used and all that kind of stuff. So it's a really varied and rich data set. Zooming down to Asia Pacific, are there any new insights since our last conversation? Yeah, so I think the messenger use was a really interesting one. It's not necessarily a new insight. It's just that we've now got a lot more data to back up some of the conversations that we had previously. So it's very difficult to talk about a map when we've not got sort of visual references to talk about here. So um, I would advise your listeners to go and grab that map out of the global report. And um, I think the bit that sort of stood out there was the diversity in our region is much greater than anywhere else in the world. So we've got obviously WeChat massive, massive in China, but perhaps less so elsewhere. So the only other um, country in the whole of APAC where it is the number one messenger was actually Bhutan, which surprised me. I expected it to be some of the surrounding countries. But in Taiwan, for example, we saw that Line was the top messenger app. Then you've got Line being top in Thailand as well. And then you've got all this like interesting diversity across the rest of APAC as well. So that was one of the bits that sort of stands out. Obviously, that's caught other people's attention as well. As we mentioned, that's one of the most discussed charts over the last 24 hours. But then I think it It is very difficult for me to pull out individual data points for APAC. It's a bit like asking me which of my children is my favorite. You know, it's like, well, I collected all these millions of data points. And so what I would suggest is it's the additional data, especially compared to the APAC report that we discussed a few weeks ago. So this new report has a vast amount more 
information compared to last time. So it's not just the extra trends, it's just the extra depth that we've been able to go into. Obviously, I get to spend a lot more time producing the, uh, the global report because it is a big part of our annual activity. So, so it's just some fascinating insights in there. Instagram use around the region. So countries like Indonesia, for example, just the, the sheer number of people in Indonesia using Instagram. Uh, 53 million people across the country using Instagram this month, which is just amazing from my perspective. But yeah, loads and loads of really interesting insights like that across all of the individual countries. I thought that there was the messaging app picture shown up something really interesting. So if you look at the vast global world, I think Facebook WhatsApp dominated almost two thirds of the world. So yeah, you've got WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger, obviously from Facebook Inc. But yeah, I mean... But here's the interesting data put in and then start to create an inverse map of it. If you were to think in terms of the ARPU per user, then like for example, WeChat Line and Talk and those that are dominating within the Asia ones actually have a higher ARPU rate against Facebook and WhatsApp, which contains two-thirds of the world. So to me, there's a kind of an inverse relation. That means it doesn't matter whether you have two-thirds of the market share like Android, but actually the ARPU per user is actually far more interesting in the Asia messaging apps than in Facebook and WhatsApp. Am I right to say that? Yeah, from a commercial perspective, absolutely. I think that's a really, really important point that you've raised there. So when you look at what dominates around the world, it's actually 80%, I think, of the world that is either Facebook Messenger or WhatsApp terrifying. So 200 countries out of 225 that we got data for is either WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger as the most used platform in each country. But you're right, once you get down to an APAC level, you've got Line, where obviously things like gaming and stickers are a big commercial opportunity. You've got WeChat. I mean, where do we even start with the commercial opportunities on WeChat? You've got payment systems. You've got, <laughs> let's not go there in detail right now. And then, you know, you, you've obviously got things like Kakao Talk as the dominant platform still in South Korea as well, which offers different opportunities compared to the Facebook world. So yeah, I noticed that I, I saw that you were having some great conversations with people on the LinkedIn conversation about this yesterday it's just fascinating when you start to use that data for your own personal analysis and that's you know that's the bit that i enjoy most about these numbers is people take them in different ways and i think just that conversation especially amongst the china crew so matthew brennan from china channel talking about the fact that he cannot get his head around the fact that it's only china that seems to have understood how to make messaging apps a commercially viable opportunity i'm guessing from the fact that you know facebook is obviously one of the world's most successful successful companies. I'm guessing they're using that data elsewhere because they're not serving us adverts so much in WhatsApp Messenger yet. WhatsApp Messenger? What in WhatsApp and in Facebook Messenger, you know, they've only just started to introduce advertising and it's it's not necessarily a huge commercial business for them yet. So yeah, it's fascinating. Obviously, from a, a cultural and societal perspective, from the user angle, these things are incredibly popular and people are using them every day. But you know, to be able to provide the amount of support that those companies need to offer to be able to make us all able to chat with each other. You think about the number of messages that get sent every day and the fact that those need to be stored on a server and all of the technology that goes into delivering them instantaneously from one device to another. That's not a small feat. You know, it costs a lot of money for these companies to be able to make those services work. So I'm going to follow the, the conversations that a lot of people were having around that chart. We're going to see that evolve. We're going to have to see those companies able to monetize that in some way over the coming months. Otherwise, it's not going to be a sustainable business model. So it reminds me of the iOS Android debate. If you think about the messaging app dominance, it's exactly like the iOS Android thing where Android has dominantly 80% of the market share, but the monetization is actually far lower as compared to iOS. Yeah, now there's, there's a slight one. 
I'm guessing it, it's not totally separate, but I think Android is a much greater source of data to Google than perhaps WhatsApp is to Facebook. I might be naive, I might be underestimating Facebook's data gathering activities within WhatsApp. But if you look at what Android tells Google, it's absolutely amazing the amount of stuff that they're able to glean from that. So one of the one of the <laughs> Sorry, this, is, this could be slightly creepy. One of the things that we talked about last year when we were doing some research into specifically how much information Google knows about us, I was speaking to a psychologist about the way that people have relationships with their mobile devices and the number of younger people especially, so those apocryphal millennials that we love to talk about, which is a big mistake because it's a massive generalization. There's no such thing as a millennial. But, you know, these, the younger folks love to sleep with I sound like an old man don't they young folks love to sleep with their phones under their pillows but you know it's true you'll find a lot of younger users feel less comfortable being a further distance away from their phone as a result they're keeping their phones with them even when they're sleeping and they put them on the mattress so Google knows how stressed you are when you're asleep you toss and turn more when you're stressed and the movements of your bed register on the sort of the devices within your handset. They also know when we're getting into more romantic situations with our partner from those same bed movements. So <laughs> that's just one small example of the sort of the level of data that you're able to collect if you run the operating system on a phone. Now obviously Apple have access to that too, but as you were saying, almost 80% of the world's mobile users or at least smartphone users are using an Android device. We're talking about what, 3 billion people around the world that Google now has information on at that level. And it's not just obviously whether or not we're getting jiggy with our partner. We're, we're tracking things like our health and our fitness with those devices as well. We're looking for love through things like Tinder and all the other apps that we use. I think we might have talked about this in the last episode, didn't we? So, you know, the, the scale of different stuff that we do in our lives that our phones track, if you look at what Android is able to pull out from that, it's an incredibly rich data source. So I think that the commercial mechanisms, the commercial model behind Android is a little bit more viable, I suppose, in terms of the data that they can collect versus a very focused app like WhatsApp. Although realistically, most of us have something like WhatsApp open on our phone all the time. It, so it can track where we are. It knows who we're talking to. It doesn't necessarily know what we're talking about. Obviously, end-to-end -end encryption makes it much more difficult to glean very rich data sets for people like WhatsApp. But they know who we're talking to. They know where we are. They know roughly what times of day we talk to different kinds of people. So it can understand the kinds of relationship that we have with those people. Is it a social one? Is it a commercial one? You know, all that kind of stuff. So I think people may be underestimating the value of that data. It isn't just the ability to put ads in front of people's faces that represents a commercial opportunity in the sort of evolving digital world that we're looking at. How they use that data for commercial purposes is a different question. So how they monetize it, I'm not sure I understand fully where the value is yet. I know what I would use that data for, but I'm not necessarily sure that it's a commercial model that they can use globally. Just to close off with the messaging app conversation. So we now know that WhatsApp and Facebook dominating almost two thirds of the world. There are two questions involved in this. So um, the first part is, what does that mean in the longer term for Facebook and WhatsApp? And then there is the second question is, what is in the longer term for the messaging apps that are local to Asia and whether they will break up? Yes, yeah, so I think the longer term view for Facebook and WhatsApp, it's not just a Facebook conversation, actually. I think if you look at 
the way that we use, we, and I'm talking about the users globally here, the way that we use those messengers at the moment, it's still text and emoji and sticker based. It's still a lot of typing into smartphones and sending, you know, text centric messages to each other that is going to change dramatically over the next 12 to 18 months so if you look at the the roadmap for development that mark zuckerberg has announced for those two particular apps it's going to focus increasingly on video and in particular in facebook messenger it's going to focus on video with augmented reality elements to it so i think that we're going to see a very interesting move and a very interesting shift in those apps and the way that we use them and what that means for our social relationships. So obviously, I mean, it's it's always uncomfortable for me to say these things are a very important part of our social lives because a lot of people don't like the fact that the digital elements of our relationships have come to be often more frequent than the face-to-face and real-world parts of our friendships. But in reality, you know, I mean, I live in Singapore, my parents still live in Scotland, and we speak to each other on a regular basis using video chat, and it's so much nicer than sending an email, which, you know, when I first moved abroad, that was the way we stayed in touch. And it's, you know, I think... As we move forward, and especially if you look at the way teenagers are using messaging apps and social stuff more broadly, they're not typing stuff into their phones. They're recording little snippets of audio. They're recording little videos of themselves, whether it's on Snapchat, whether it's on Messenger, you name it. They, they are obviously the, the cutting edge of what's happening next, and they're using all the latest and greatest in terms of the, the apps that are available. But what that means for the future of all of these things is that it, it's not going to be a chat app in the way that we've known it until now. It's going to be much more of a social experience. We're going to be able to interact. We're going to be able to see each other's faces. And I don't think that emoji are going to disappear. So we've actually got some great data on emoji in this year's reports. I think that there will still be a big part of our communication world in digital over the coming years. But I think increasingly those conversations will move to become video chats. What does that mean from an APAC perspective? And especially what does it mean for our APAC platforms i think that the funny thing is that once again wechat is already well ahead in this so wechat it's been audio messaging for what three years now i don't think anybody types into wechat anymore for those viewers viewers listeners even who've not had a chance to sort of see what wechat looks like in a mainland china context it's all people speaking and recording audio messages that, that they then send in the way that we would send a text message so it's people listening and talking to each other more naturally than they would do in something like what where it's still text-based and if you look at what's happening online in japan the cultural context to that is really really important so if you've ever been to tokyo or any of the other big japanese cities and you spent some time on the subway you'll know that they've even got signs on the subway that say please do not talk on your phone please keep noise to a minimum so from that perspective i don't think that we're going to suddenly see lots of japanese people walking around the streets of japanese cities recording video messages of themselves to send to their friends but they they will use perhaps more animated uh, versions of the stickers that have become a big part of line. So I think we're going to see a lot of evolution in the ways that people use these messaging apps. Whether that means that we're going to see different platforms rise is possibly a more interesting question. So the hidden data, the stuff behind a lot of the numbers that we've shared this year, things like Snow, which is a sort of video and photo enhancing app, very popular in Northern Asian countries like Japan and South Korea, and it allows people to sort of add things onto videos that they've created, these augmented reality elements that we talked about a little bit earlier. So I think it's that kind of stuff that we're going to see really coming 
to the fore over 2018. That's going to change the way that we use the existing apps. It's going to change the apps that we use. And I think from a marketing perspective, it's going to make it a lot more challenging for marketers to be able to create content that is able to keep up with the level of engagement that users are having in the conversations with each other. I mean, if you're if you're just coming out with a static digital image for your marketing, but your audience is used to having live video conversations with their friends, it, it, there's going to be a marked difference in the level of expectation in what we see in all of those apps. And it's going to be, it's going to be challenging for companies to keep up with that. I was making this map on tracing the Facebook versus Tencent. And what I discovered was something quite interesting is that if you were to take all the local messaging apps in Asia Pacific, they were all invested by Tencent and Snap in the US is also invested by Tencent. I think the only abnormality that's out of it is Telegram, which is actually doing their own ICO at the moment. And seems that a lot of people like their channels and their group chats and that so there is this war between Tencent and Facebook so Facebook will be dominant with the messenger and WhatsApp while Tencent is basically supporting all the competitors to create a defense on that do you see that competition for the messaging space would also evolve you were alluding to the fact that there's going to be more applications that will built on top of this messaging apps could be AR could be VR could be even e-commerce yeah so it's going to be a really interesting evolution as you see those east versus west conversations evolving I confess I'm sort of I'm grabbing my popcorn here and I'm sitting there watching this evolving. The most important element of that is going to be cultural and societal. So a lot of the technical conversation, if you look at what the different platforms can do, there is absolutely no contest at the moment. WeChat is worlds ahead of everybody else in terms of what it offers. But obviously it's really struggling to get traction outside of mainland China. And it's a sensitive issue. I think we talked about this when we talked about the APAC stuff a couple of weeks ago as well. There is a lot of hesitation around the world to use apps that are coming out of certain countries because of fears about privacy and whatever else. Now, I'm not going to make any value judgments on that. I don't know whether any of these apps is better or worse from a, a safety perspective than others. But it's a lot of the time, it's, it's gossip and it's rumor and it's even propaganda on a local level that influences whether or not we use particular apps and whether or not we don't. And I think you're right. You know, when you see companies like Tencent investing in an awful lot of these other different messaging apps, I think that's a very smart strategy because a lot of the time at a local level, people do like to sort of favor the apps that are built specifically for their local cultural nuances. So even though, I mean, I think that map is very interesting, the one we keep alluding to with the messengers, but it only talks about the top app in each country. Once you come one level down, two levels down, you'll start to see all sorts of fascinating things. So Hike is still very big in India, for example, and you'll still see things like you were mentioning, Telegram is still big in lots of interesting countries around the world. Um, depending on your definition of APAC, if you broaden it out a little bit and include countries like Iran, for example, absolutely fascinating that the local scene the local digital sort of landscape in places like western asia and the middle east iran is by far the dominant platform 40 million users at latest count in iran so it's just staggering when you look at stuff like that but how that evolves i confess i i I don't really know that's one of the reasons i love collecting this data is i get to see it first but i would find it very difficult to confidently predict who is going to sort of come out top on that. I have a sneaky suspicion it's a company we don't really know about yet. I think we're going to see a new player come in with a new kind of offering over the next probably two years. It's not going to be this year, I don't think. But I think we're going to see something quite 
innovative come through quite quickly. Whether Facebook and Tencent jump on that and try and acquire it or invest in it, obviously, is a slightly different conversation. They're probably spending even more time than me looking at this, I would hope. But yeah, that's my guess. It's, it's probably going to be a new player that really changes the landscape over the coming years. Before we conclude this part one of our conversation on the Global Digital Report in 2018, I still have one more thing to talk about is I think you and I currently, who, who, those who are living in Southeast Asia, we're starting to see Tencent and Alibaba putting in TenPay and Alipay into our payment infrastructure. And currently the consensus is that they want to help the small medium businesses to reach out to the Chinese tourists coming into these markets. There will be a pretty interesting play for trying to get that adoption already. I was turning on my WeChat and I'm starting to even integrate my bank account into WeChat for a change. I mean, I, I, use, I have the WeChat pay by paying someone in China to give me the credits, but now I can directly do it on the app itself. Do you see that payments play that what Tencent and Alibaba is doing is going to inf- starting to influence the dynamic of the messaging apps in Southeast Asia? Definitely. And I think it's not just messaging apps either. I think what's really stood out for me over the last few weeks is just how many people are trying to get into that mobile payments landscape. So the one that's really stood out for me, just because I keep seeing it everywhere, is Grab. So for those who aren't living in Southeast Asia, Grab is sort of a, it's a similar sort of thing to Uber. It allows us to book taxis, but it's not a, a standalone company. So we, a lot of the time, Grab allows us to actually just book taxis with normal taxi companies as well. But what's really interesting is that they've got their payment system integrated into the same app as well. Now, you might think, wait a minute, why is a, hail- a, you know, a ride-hailing app getting into the payment system? But their payment system is integrated into local physical world retailers and stuff as well. So it's just really interesting to see how that bit of the world is evolving. I think what's, what's, what's most interesting about it is that there's very little talk about PayPal's role in this. Now, for, for the old school internet users, you know, the folks from back in the day like me that have been using the internet for far too long, I'm just fascinated that PayPal isn't a bigger part of this conversation. I'm really looking forward to next month because we're going to get the latest data from WeChat that tells us how much people have sent to each other in red packets on Chinese New Year. Last year, the data was, I believe it was more than double the amount of money was sent between individuals on the first two days of the Chinese New Year celebrations compared to every single transaction that went across everything on PayPal in the entire previous year. So, you know, WeChat has cracked mobile payments, not just user to user. You can also use it, obviously, to pay for things at vending machines and stuff like that. So WeChat is easily the leading example of how to integrate payments into not just a messaging app, but an app that you can use in the physical world as well. I think we should probably talk, we should probably stop, rather talk, stop talking about WeChat as a messaging app. WeChat is the entire connected ecosystem in one app. Um, unfortunately, it's mostly just the Chinese landscape. But yeah, I think a lot of other companies around the world are looking at what WeChat have achieved and going, I want a bit of that pie as well. So yeah, whether it's WeChat that dominates in the rest of the world or whether it's somebody else that cracks that, I think you're right. That is the big commercial opportunity. And it's probably the one that we'll be talking about even this time next year as well is who cracked it, who's making the most money and why has that happened? What are the cultural motivations that have led to the success of those companies in each of those individual countries? And Simon, we will take a break and we'll come back in the next segment of this conversation. Thanks, Bernard.